This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more. Work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethyx. Welcome back to another episode of Data Sunset Town Podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethyx Technologies based in Belgium. Today, we speak about monitoring, uh, data monitoring, model monitoring, and of course, much, much more. In fact, I'm with uh, Itai Bar-Sinai from Mona Labs.io. Uh, Mona is the leading AI monitoring intelligence company, and I'm very glad to have one of their co-founders on the show. Hi, Ita, how are you doing today? Hey, Francesco. I'm great. Excited to be here. Cool. Indeed. It's, this is one of the topics that really um, intrigued me uh, for so such a long time, to be honest with you. I even uh, implemented something uh, on a completely different level from, from Mona, of course. And uh, I'm really, really excited to know what you guys are on. I think that you are uh, in the right place, especially now that uh, data increases in volume and complexity. And monitoring is indeed something that we should consider uh, you know, on a daily basis. So uh, first thing first, I would like you to introduce to the listeners of this show who uh, would really appreciate you know, where you come from, what's your background, and of course, your role at Mona. For sure. So uh, I, I'm be, I've been doing, I've been working with data, big data, AI for over a decade now. I started my career at Google. I was um, a senior tech lead on a team um, working on a product called Google Trends, which is an uh, analytics um, platform on top of Google's data. Uh, if anyone isn't familiar with it, it's open to the public and I'm, I highly recommend people to um, try it out. Um, so I've been doing, I, I, I was there for around four years after there and uh, after Google and after a bit of a hiatus, I, um, I spent some time doing AI in a in much smaller early stage startups um, and also consulting to um, um, small VCs doing AI um, in, in, in this area. And then um, actually the person who was... Um, my boss, uh, the global engineering lead of, um, of Google Trends, uh, he and I, we uh, kind of re-engaged and, and, and understood that we were looking for the next big thing and, and understood that we we're seeing the same kind of trends in the industry and decided to um, start Mona Out along with our third co-founder, Yotam. Um, and we've been doing this for around um, a bit over three years now. So um, three years wow. within Mona. And, and, and Mona, Mona itself um, is, um, <clears throat> is a platform for uh, monitoring um, AI, um, AI systems in production, right? So our, our customers are companies that employ some kind of AI-driven um, AI business process um, in their product or uh, somewhere um, within their, their businesses. And obviously, as um, many people know, those, those solutions could be sometimes unpredictable and Mona allows them to easily kind of make sure that everything goes as planned and get alerted um, when things don't, and, and just um, extend their capabilities, um, their research capabilities into production, bridge that gap between research and production, understand what's going on. That's great. And of course, we will have some time to uh, get into the nitty gritty details of uh, how yeah. Mona works and what type of problem uh, problems uh, you guys are solving. Uh, again, I believe that this is amazing stuff. I mean, stuff that uh, anybody needs uh, across sectors, in fact, in fact. 
Um, and uh, speaking about sectors, I would like to ask you, uh, what do you think are the trends and success factors that you have seen for AI teams in general, you know, or if you have a particular sector in mind? Yeah, so actually, this is one of the coolest thing of like having my job. I am, I'm the, I'm the chief product officer uh, at Mona, but I'm also in charge of all the communications we have with our customers. So basically, my job is really to take data science teams um, from companies in all shapes and sizes, from all different sectors. And I'm talking about early stage startups to um, like Fortune 500 companies and, and work with those teams to kind of go through this transition of taking their AI from something that was a more research oriented, a research product to something that works in production and kind of understanding what their needs are over there and, and how, how to make sure that they are aware of what's going on. So this gives me a really great vantage point on the industry to see like what are the different, different um, trends, what works and, and what doesn't. And really the, the main big trend that, that we're seeing very strongly um, going in the industry, and, and obviously it's faster in some sectors than in others, but it's really overall, is this shift in, in, um, shift in how the data, science, the, the, the data science team kind of uh, recognizes themselves, right? Um, is it a research-oriented team that, that is in charge of creating models? Or is this, or is this a product-oriented team that is in charge of actually delivering value within a business context, um, using obviously uh, machine learning-based models or some other um, form, uh, any, any other algorithm they might um, produce? And and this shift is 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 very very big. Um, it used to be it used to be that um, every that for the data scientist they get like this kind of business problem. It's usually somewhat well formed. And they need to either collect data or they get already a data set. And then they divide this data set to um, obviously training and, and test it. And, and then their goal is to create a product, to create a model that um, gets uh, the, the same inputs that they get uh, in, 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 the test, in the test set and, and performs well on that test set. Once they have uh, a model that gets like a very good score on this, they kind of throw it over uh, an invisible virtual fence to the people over there in production. Um, where um, there it serves the product, um, but then it's not very clear who's in charge of, of what's happening to the mall over there. And usually when they, it used to be the case that for them it was, okay, when something goes wrong, someone will shout, right? We, we like to say that everyone has some kind of monitoring. We call it monitoring by customer complaint. Um, and and there's, it's not always very clear who's in charge. Okay, this customer is, is, is complaining. Who, who actually needs to work on this? And then you need to create a whole operation of bringing back the model into the research phase and see if you can do something else with it. And, and this whole thing, obviously, is a very painful and, uh, and frictionful um, process that we're now seeing that is really shifting. The data science, the more advanced forward-thinking data, data science teams they understand that the real test isn't in the test set or in the training set, right? It's in the behavior of the model as part of a business uh, of a business function, right? That, that is serving a, a specific business function and needs to be measured and understood over there, and not just um, in the in the research phase. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, I would add that sometimes there are clients who really don't give you a second chance. So after they complain, <laughs> you, you better monitor stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, used, it used to be that, 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 you know, 
this is so advanced AI that that like at least it's it works sometimes and and that's good enough but now businesses are relying on this more and more and it, it's just it, it's a maturing phase that was right. kind of obvious that has to happen okay so well I would like to know I'm an engineer myself of course I like to measure stuff and to define things uh, so if you want to define or if you have a definition for uh, monitoring, Uh, what exactly do you mean by monitoring? Is it monitoring data? Is it monitoring models? Is it monitoring business processes or mm. all of the three? Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's, it's a really good question for monitoring um, specifically for AI today because it's a field that it's constantly kind of growing up today. And where exactly is the word monitoring going to land in the set of capabilities and features is still an, an open question. However, there is some key... Uh, important kind of aspects to it that are very different to what used to be monitoring, right? And this is something that we noticed already um, when working on Google Trends at Google. We had to take a lot of models and put them in production and maintain them in production. And even within, model, within Google, we realized there's this big gap in visibility on the one, um, and we have really great tools to get visibility on the uh, cloud infrastructure or application performance levels, right? You have the data dogs of the world, the Prometheus packages of the world, right? And within Google, obviously, there was the in-house Prometheus package. But, um, <clears throat> but basically, you understand very well things like latency and error rates and downtimes and, um, and, and heat rates, right? And, and CPU utilizations. But... On the, on, on the data side, when, when, you, when you have a data-savvy product, when you have a product that's so dependent on data, there are other things that are very, very um, relevant and interesting that you need to monitor for that the current tools, the existing tools back then just never did the job for this. And, and those are, are their biases in, the, in, in your data sets and things that you can only know once the, the model is in production. Are there drifts? Are there changes in how the world behaves um, for you specifically for the function that your model is trying to um, is, is trying to fulfill um, are there specific segments in the data that are suffering from underperformance compared to other segments are there in integrity issues with the data all of those things are under the umbrella of what you have to monitor when you're looking at um, let's say a statistical inference model well that's actually a very interesting point and I wonder if uh, you know the ml ops now of course this is quite an abused term uh, <laughs> terminology I, I, I like I like the term overloaded <laughs> overloaded that's right uh, but in fact there are you know there is a set of tools uh, probably defined as ml ops um, uh, or part of you know under the umbrella of let's say ml ops uh, that you effectively allow one to um, uh, define metrics in terms of data quality bias, uh, statistical drift, all the things that you mentioned. Uh, how do you think these tools play uh, in this setting, in these scenarios of, uh, of data and, or monitoring in general? Yeah, so uh, I think, first of all, like you said, MLOps is a very overloaded term. And I think um, starting out, it actually used to mean monitoring. And now it's actually have drifted away To the operational um, stack of um, workflow pipeline creation and experiment management and and model serving and um, and, and deployment and orchestration and and now monitoring became a more adjacent area to this so it's kind of hard to know like kind of um, put the the like the, the lines are pretty blurry um, which is fine for such a growing industry um, so I think there are great tools for For many parts of of the um, of the AI life cycle 
There are really great tools to automate workflows today. This is, this is obvious. There are great tools to create tests for data sets coming in. I personally really like great expectations, for example, um, on this. Um, there are some tools for experiment tracking that will also allow you some type of model validation on the model creation itself. And then where we come into play, it's really more at the, at the end of this. You already have a model that's serving, whether it's batch processes or, or real-time streaming processes, you have a system that has a model in it that is serving um, actual business data, right? Actual business, uh, business function with, with inference, inference data. And you want to know if this data flowing within it is, is the performance of the model behaving in, in a similar way to how, how it used to, is the data looking the same as how it used to when you trained the model or just, just previously? Um, there are many different use cases over here and uh, each one is very unique, um, but basically is there a good way to have really good visibility into how things are, how the data is flowing through a system? And um, this isn't about the like batch workflows to create models necessarily, right? It's, um, it, it could be like even just a search engine, um, serving um, search, um, like streaming search um, queries uh, in, in a real time fashion. But for that, um, packages, great packages like great, like great expectations, they, they, they definitely don't make the cut, right? This is more for right. testing a data set that you get for a batch process. Makes sense. And uh, I want to make a step back to the monitoring part. So what do you uh, consider uh, successful monitoring metrics, uh, if any? I, I wouldn't say like monitoring, I, I would start with some aspects to like, like, what are the main value propositions that you're actually looking for when um, when you're monitoring, and I think there are there are, there are two main ones. Um, the first one is just risk mitigation, right? And and oh, and, and this is like a, this is a, like being an insurance company. It's kind of hard to um, measure success. You 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 only know that when things go wrong, or when or, or when you prevent things from going wrong. But um, basically, obviously, uh, businesses put millions of dollars into AI, and then it, it lives there in the wild. It's very hard. It's impossible to test it, right? Test like the, the system is very complex. You, by definition, you don't know what kind of inputs you're going to get. Because if you knew, you would have, you maybe you wouldn't have created like AI for this. And <clears throat> and it's impossible to kind of validate everything. So you you have to have like eyes and ears in the field or automated eyes and ears in the field to alert you when something goes wrong and 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 make sure that you wake up um, um, to to kind of fix that. Um, the second um, value, big value position over here is extending your research capabilities. Even if you like, you care more as data scientists about the research phase, um, understanding your AI um, in the wild actually allows you to extend your research capabilities into production. You have much better visibility. You, you, can, you can test which features work better. You can do hypothesis testing better. You can um, learn um, much more quickly where uh, do you need more labeling? Where do you need retraining? Where you don't? Um, and those are like the two um, the two main aspects that that you want to um, that you want to find your own metrics within to measure. And this and this really changes from team to team, from com company to company. What are the exact metrics within? Uh, Ita, do you have a couple of examples uh, where, in fact, monitoring made a difference in uh, uh, in your career? But more specifically, of course, at Mona. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually, we, we also, there's also a good example um, from way back. We were at Google and not having monitoring 
was made like a huge difference. We had a product based on um, Google Trends data called um, Flu Trends. And people can look it up. Uh, we all see um, like um, news headlines um, uh, and, and like or surviving um, until today uh, for that, where there, there was uh, basically a model over there trying to predict where the flu is going according to um, people's searches. And this was actually working really great. And um, we had really great monitoring on, in the APM sense of things, right? We knew that there's retraining done every day or week, I don't remember. And, and, there, and, and, and everything was working great. And, the, and there were like heat rate was fine. There were no errors and all those things. But the model, actual, the model's actual fidelity, like its ability to actually, under, like given the, the specific keywords people use to detect where, uh, if someone is searching about the flu, this deteriorated gradually until it dropped very suddenly, very quickly. Um, and, 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 and when you think about it, it's pretty obvious, right? The, the way people search on Google um, changed uh, very significantly. And, and no one even thought back then about monitoring in this sense, right? About like, under, like everyone was just thinking about the infrastructure and application performance. Um, so this, this was just like uh, the, the thing that kind of triggered this idea in, in our heads back then. But today, um, with Mona, with uh, our customers, obviously I can go into details about any specific customer and, and, and their specific use case, but I can give some obfuscated examples. Um, so, so, and some of them are actually really interesting with regards to this transition from a research-oriented state of mind to a product-oriented state of mind. So um, first of all, even if you just stay in the research-oriented state of mind, consider this um, fact, consider this um, um, this type of situation where the information that you have in production and in inference time is actually more rich, right? You can get more information over there than what you have in your original training set. Imagine, for example, um, and again, this is a real example only with slight obfuscation. Imagine you have um, some um, audio um, language detection model, right? And you are training a French, uh, a French detector, right? So you get a training set um, with lots of French conversation and non-French conversation, and, and, and you, train, you train this model. Um, and then later on, um, you learn, and, and, and Mona teaches you, right, that, hey, there's a specific um, like um, area in France from which um, like uh, audio calls coming from there, you have much lower confidence, right? Your model, your model gets much lower confidence, much lower probability scores when, det when detecting um, French conversations over there. And maybe you're losing some French conversations over there. And, and, and you, you get this in a, in a good way. You kind of understand, okay, um, you're looking at the data and, and listening to the data. You kind of say, okay, this specific region has a very specific accent that was probably not there in the training set. And the key, the, the key thing to realize over here that you didn't have this information in the training set, right? You might not have had like the geographical location, but in production, when it's your application, your, um, your data, you can get much more information, like these kind of meta features uh, in order to extend your kind of research capabilities. So learn, okay, I need to label more data specifically from this specific segment. Now you're triggering my curiosity because <laughs> I would like to know from, on a practical side, how, you know, let, let's assume I'm a client, how does it work? Do I connect to, is there a, a cloud service? Is there an on-prem or yeah. standalone service? Yeah, I'd love to do that. I, I do, I do want to get back to a couple, another couple of, of really cool examples that actually sure. really show the, the shift, but, um, but yeah, for sure. So the, the way, the way this works is um, with Mona, we can 
do a little pause over here and kind of talk about how, how Mona works. Um, basically, um, Mona, like the first stage of Mona is just creating a system of record. It allows you to very easily um, collect data from wherever you have it about a, a specific monitoring context. And I, I, I um, <clears throat> on purpose, I'm saying context and not a specific model because you might have one context, let's say this audio conversation, where you have many different models, right? There could be language detection and speech to text and uh, voice uh, voice print recognition, etc. Right? And <clears throat> and Mona allows you to kind of monitor all of those in the same context. So if uh, the language detection fails, this could be a, a good reason for speech to text to later fail, and um, and you'll be able to um, to learn this um, easily um, when when monitoring with Mona. So this is the first thing, kind of just collecting all the data and then creating a monitoring schema, basically defining the metrics that are relevant for you. And this is very different from use case to use case. Even within the same company, even within different companies doing the same kind of, um, of AI, fraud detection in different places will have very different um, ways to measure performance, right? Um, because sometimes you have the ground truth information two weeks later about whether or not it was fraudulent. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you pass along some of the, um, of the false, uh, like you, uh, um, on purpose, um, pass along some of the uh, of the positives to see your rate of false positives, right? And all those things, you need to be able to somehow define a schema um, that is relevant for your specific monitoring purposes. And Mona allows you to do that and has a built-in ETL pipeline to kind of transform the data that you export to the, to the metrics that you're trying to track. But then the third part of Mona, and, and this is the main thing, um, this is Mona's insights generator. And, um, and Mona's Insight Generator is a very strong analytical engine that works on top of your monitoring data set according to your monitoring schema and finds specific segments in your data in which there is some anomalous behavior of your performance metrics, right? So in the example that I just gave, right, with the, um, with the different um, um, confidence scores, right, for, um, for French detection. So the confidence score over there is, is an obvious performance metric. Obviously, it might be okay that you have like lower confidence, might be a healthy thing, but you, you want to know about it. Um, Mona's, Mona automatically and exhaustively searches your data to find a good way to describe um, lower performing segments, right? So you might have like several customers coming from this specific region in France, right? And for all, each one of those customers, Mona will find, hey, the, the average confidence is actually very low for this customer. But Mona will also recognize that all of them are coming from the same um, area in France, and will then alert you just once, telling you, "Hey, this area in France, with here are all the customers over there, but those are just symptoms of the problem deriving from this specific area." So we look, we we basically segment the monitoring table across all different fields, all different dimensions, find the ones that are problematic, and then cluster them together to show you the best way to describe um, an anomaly. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it does. It's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the most interesting, like, this is a very, very um, um, big problem. And when we started working on Mona, we actually, we started working specifically with, with customers, with companies that were trying to build a monitoring solution in-house and, and quit in the middle. They got to some suboptimal results and realized this is not good enough, but we just can't put more effort on this now. And, and those, this was like their main challenge. Their main challenge was we either look at all of your data and we're looking at all of your data, we just look at the feature and see that the feature distributes differently on average. This means one of two things. 
what like what the option one this isn't interesting because okay the feature distributes differently across but maybe it doesn't maybe just like there's just different um customers using my app now and that's fine i'm 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 well trained on them as well and that's okay the second option is that it's too late you now have this is actually very important right. but you you only recognize this when it's everywhere um so so they realized and and we realized after after talking to all of them um that you have to get granular and find the specific segments of data where you're suffering from this before it affects all of your data and and um this realization brought in with they tried to do that then the 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 next thing that happened is that either they had to like list all the segments that they want to want to look for which is cumbersome and impossible to maintain and just like just doesn't work um or they have to uh or they actually do some automatic exhaustive search like mona does which is difficult but then also extremely noisy and this problem um, with noise it's because one actual issue can be looked at from many different places like the example we just gave before uh, it could be this area but there are also many different customers over there so if you segment on everything automatically and just alert on every segment that's problematic you will just get alerted on all the customers coming from this area instead of just one alert saying oh this area is problematic and every customer that has enough data in this area gets this problem so this was like our i think our main challenge is like get all those signals and understand um what what's the best way and just alert you once on the best way or it's like a couple of times but but about the best ways that um to show the problem thank you for explaining yeah. this i mean i'm really uh i'm really <laughs> intrigued now to be honest so on a technical level on a technical level yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. and maybe maybe this is a good segue also to another example if if that's okay um, sure that's exactly what i was asking actually there were there were there was another use case that we we left behind Yeah, and maybe like one or two other examples and and those really relate also to just like getting out of this research oriented thinking into the product oriented thinking and about things that are uh, traditionally data scientists would have just said, oh, this isn't our responsibility. So imagine for example that um you have a fraud detection system. And your fraud detection system, again this is an obfuscated true story. and and your fraud detection system um relies on some features built from um um from data stored in the in the end user's cookies right the cookie data on the on on his browser on on their browser um now imagine google um decides to um launch a new beta version for chrome on which they might, they do some slight changes in the api for reading cookie data Right so this is a, a classic third party you don't control yeah, changing absolutely speed, right <laughs> yeah um traditionally data scientists would say okay this is the data engineer's job and they should somehow be aware of this happening um however obviously this this happens all the time and and it, it's not obvious that they will realize this so now what happens now you have like 0.1% of your data coming from this beta version on which um in if if you have if you're lucky um your system is just broken and you get an alert on on the system being broken over there but if you're unlucky you get um you get um just like values in those features that just don't mean anything right and that, that's that's even worse um but it's just in the beginning it's just like 0.1% of your data 
if you don't under, if you don't um, kind of um, realize this now, then in a couple of months, this will be 30% of your data. Then if you look only across all of your data, then you see those features distributed very differently when it's like 30% of your data already. And it's way too late and your business KPIs are really hurting. Um, so you need some way to find this out when it's 0.1% of your data, right? So, so this, is, this is a very good example for how this segment, deep segmentation, granular segmentation is really, really important. Obviously, the, the traditional data science was correct in the in the correct um, uh, in the correctness of the thing, right? You say, um, okay, this is um, this is a data engineer's problem. However, what the business person is saying, what the product manager is saying, looking at it, saying, okay, I have this AI-based system. I'm paying this data science team all this money, and investing all this money in in resources and training this, and then this little thing that just no one says is it's their responsibility. It just like goes away, and 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 this ruins your project, right? So it ruins like the the stability and the trustworthiness of your project. And what we're seeing is that data science teams that realize that this is on their plate, right? They they need to make sure that the values they're getting are healthy, right? The data that is they're getting is healthy. Um, they they thrive and and actually succeed with um in the real test, right? In the in the real world. Itai, who's behind Mona? Is there a team, I suppose? Who are they? <laughs> no, yeah, there's a team. Um, so first, so, so there's me and um, Nemo, uh, who was my boss back at Google, right? And is our CTO today. And uh, Yotam, our CEO. Um, we are um, <clears throat> about 15, 16 people today. Um, we are mainly, obviously, um, highly engineering focused. We have people from data science and analysis and engineering, but... We are an engineering heavy um, team, right? Um, basically, our point was to come from the engineering um, side where the monitoring culture is very mature and bring the best practices over there, obviously um, tailored to the AI part of things. Um, we, are, um, we have offices both in Israel and in the States. The States is our entire go-to-market team. And there, uh, here in Israel, um, is the R&D engineering um, and product. I see. So there is a lot of engineering. I believe there are uh, data scientists with statistical with statistics uh, background, right? Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We. Um, a cool thing is that we don't build currently our own um, AI, right? Our own ML-based solution. So basically. Um, one of the things that we realized and kind of put in our philosophy very early on is that your um, you basically you have a black box, and this is why a customer comes to us, right? So okay, I have a black box. I'm I don't know how to trust it. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work as expected. And then if we um, come to this customer and tell them, okay, we're gonna put another AI on top of this. It's gonna alert you when this AI underperforms. But then then there we you just escalate the problem to the next level, right? So. What we created are statistical tests that are statistically significant, significant tests that allow you to very easily define borders, right? And this isn't just like threshold, tell me when this is going over seven, right? It's statistically significant tests, which are, by the way, accessible in our documentation and open to, to everyone, um, just allow you to easily um, define this border around the behavior of your AI so that you can just say, say, okay, here's the border and then get alerted when this border um, is, is tr- trespassed, right? By it's the behavior. Crossed. Right, yeah. yeah, makes sense. 
Well, I mean, we have been speaking about a lot of things today. And for sure, uh, you will provide us with uh, some of the most important links or the most relevant ones uh, that will definitely uh, add to the show notes of this episode, as always. Everyone can find me, obviously, on LinkedIn and, and come check us on our website, monlabs.io. Obviously, I'll leave all the links. One thing that I think will be really interesting for data practitioners, and I'll be happy um, if anyone tries this out and wants to talk to us, uh, then uh, obviously... Uh, I'm available for this, um, is uh, our end-to-end tutorial that actually has a fake data set and allows you to easily kind of set up a free trial account on Mona and just test how these things, how this, how this thing works, right? For um, for, for you, um, just like step-by-step takes you all the way. So um, if anyone um, wants to do that and, and talk to us after that, that'll be great. That's great, Itai. That's uh, really good stuff. Thank you so much. That was Itai Bar-Sinai, CPO and co-founder of uh, Mona. Uh, the website is monolabs.io. Uh, again, on the show notes of this episode as well. And of course, don't be shy. Uh, come visit us on our official Discord channel where you can uh, chat with uh, the folks of uh, Data Science at Home podcast. Itai, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Francesco. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.